responding without falling into achievements, speaking without involving listeners, the 10,000 forms majestically glisten and expound the Dharma. So when I read that line, I feel inspired. It flows. And last week, uh, we talked about the previous lines, and they mentioned the gate, the fruit, of practice, the self emerging from the gate and the branches bearing fruit. And so we explored last week what it would be like to recognize the fruits of practice, to celebrate the fruits of practice when we recognize them. And here, Hungzhir is doing that. He's celebrating the fruits of practice by naming this particular fruit in a poetic, inspiring way, the fruits of what practicing silent illumination are. I feel like when I read something like that, I like to invoke the teachings of the natural world. And because what he's referring to is the functioning of our natural state of mind. And we've been talking about that as we keep coming back to this silent illumination, that silent illumination is both a practice so we can begin to recognize the silence within our own minds or silence within our own bodies that actually we're always inhabiting or or, always in connection with a deep silence that doesn't cancel out thoughts or noise or sounds, but it is accessible if we really tune in. We, we did this experiment earlier in um, the investigation of this poem of noticing which objects in the room are silent. And often we fixate on a sound so it can be traffic or the sound of the heater and let that fill our awareness and miss the, the silence of things, the silence of ceiling and walls, camera, body. So that in and of itself is an interesting practice. And then illumination is pointing us to the brightness, the liveliness of things and how these coexist two aspects of reality. Silence also points us back to emptiness, pure potential energy before we label anything, before we decide everything, anything, even before the idea of me (laughs) arises. Just that spacious quiet that we know in sleep and we'll investigate today other times we might know it. And illumination can also just be pointing to the curiosity of mind, the evolution of things, the uniqueness of things once they do appear. So we practice recognizing silent illumination and then how silent illumination functions is more what this particular line is about. What is free behavior? (laughs) Free conduct. 
the conduct of, of someone who is free. Behavior, I was thinking about, behavior that doesn't leave residue in the mind. So we have instances of that where we're just kind of flowing along with things and there isn't so much stickiness in the mind, so much hesitation or self-criticism or reactivity. Or even if those do arise, we don't get so hooked by them. So the mind might be like, oh, that was dumb. But we just kind of roll with it. We don't linger, 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 and kind of get play in that muddy puddle of mind for too long. So there's gradations of what, what we might be talking about when, we, when I say leaving residue in the mind. And when there's more flow within our own internal states of mind, more flow with our internal states of mind, then it doesn't, doesn't leak out into our relationships with others, our relationships with the world. So invoking the, the teachings of the natural world, I was listening and watching the rainfall. And it was, you know, imagining what it was like to be rain and thinking, well, the rain probably doesn't have the experience of saying, oh, I'm so bad. These people want sun. I shouldn't be falling here. It just rains. And it also doesn't think, oh, I'm the best rain. I'm making all these flowers and plants so beautiful. It just rains. And as far as we know, a tree doesn't look around and think, oh, wow, I'm so much bigger than these plants and that grass. I'm just so much taller. I'm the best plant. <laughs> Probably not. And actually, the more we learn about, or the more I learn about trees and root networks, we see that actually they're, they're so interconnected. And you know, trees, through their roots, can share nutrients and water with other trees that aren't doing as well, that are you know, sometimes quite far away from that, that tree. And, and see themselves more, if you can even say <laughs> see themselves, but you know, interact more as an interconnected network with the other beings um, that are part of that network and not prioritizing oneself. And we too are participating in a network of interconnection. But our minds aren't always so trained or tuned into seeing how codependent we are on our environment, other people, how we rely on each other in order to survive. So we've developed, for whatever reason, this tendency to rank and compare, to judge, to self-criticize. And so we, I, I noticed this just in my own mind if I'm in, coming from that place of comparison or judgment or competition, like the option is I'm either better than whoever or I'm worse than. And there isn't much room besides that. How limiting. I wrote, yikes, how limiting. 
So here, Hangzhou is reminding us that we are part of nature, that we are interconnected with all of it, and that we can begin to see that, that we don't have to believe the judgmental voice that we've been conditioned to believe, that's always comparing. We don't have to believe or put much stock into the inner critical voice that is always saying, you're not enough, you're not good enough, don't even try it, whatever creative criticisms your inner critic has come up with today. Mine kind of just likes to play the old favorites. You're not good enough. It works. But we don't have to. That's what Hunger is reminding us. Even if the inner critic is well rehearsed in all of its favorite hits, or even if the inner critic is very creative and coming up with new favorite hits, we don't have to believe it. We don't have to put much stock into it. And we can instead, when that voice arises, notice how interconnected we are. Sometimes I like to turn my mind towards appreciation when I notice that there's judgment towards someone else or towards myself. Like, okay, what are three things that I can appreciate about myself right now? Which is sometimes quite hard to do. But also just tuning into the quality of appreciation opens that <clears throat> connection. Connection with the environment, the ecological network that we're a part of. Look at how this life is flowing right now. Look for examples of responding and calling like how the birds call to each other and respond to each other and sometimes sing freely not caring if anyone is listening or watch how new shoots are emerging from the earth at this time of year smell the fresh rains the soil the night, does the night have a different smell than the day? So I want to shift now from this more poetic reading of Hangzhou to um, a more pa practical reading of this passage and talk a little bit about the flow state. <clears throat> and the research of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who um, worked on flow and is one of the founders of positive psychology. And he conducted research on flow by studying artists. And the flow state is defined in positive psychology, which is also known as being in the zone as a mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by the complete absorption in what one does and a resulting transformation in one's sense of time. 
And he noted that there are six main characteristics that encompass being in the flow state. One is intense and focused concentration on present moment experience. The second is merging of action and awareness. So the merging of activity and awareness. A loss of self-reflective self-consciousness. A sense of personal control or agency over the situation or activity. Confidence might be another way of saying that. A distortion of temporal experience. So one subjective experience of time is somewhat altered. And an experience of the activity as intrinsically rewarding just to do the activity itself not necessarily trying to get anything from doing it but just doing the activity enough or just doing the activity is enough is intrinsically enough so based on that have you ever experienced flow yeah <laughs> see some hands up heads up nods yeah i think we all have I think we all have, and, and not answering from the inner critic, but I think we all have. Do you, so another way of asking that is, do you have some activity that you enjoy doing? And when you do it, maybe there are moments where you lose a sense of time or self-consciousness, like the mind isn't just completely absorbed in its own narrative. There's kind of a break from that. doesn't mean that the mind's completely quiet, but you're just less... Um, obsessed with or don't feel that sense of, of heavy self-consciousness. You stop thinking about yourself, you temporarily enter a state of absorption and then time goes by and you might not even, you might think, oh, I was gardening for 10 minutes and, it, and actually a half hour went by. Or I was playing music for an hour and, and actually two hours went by and sometimes it can be stunning the amount of time that we lose when we're absorbed in activity. Chosen Roshi used to say that everyone has something or else they would be dead and um, the researcher Csikszentmihalyi says that this really in his study he noticed this is an aspect of well-being that if we didn't have it, we'd, that means we really didn't have access to present moment experience. And that would be really hard on our, our psyches and on our sense of well-being. And so being in the present moment, senses engage participating in life. And those are another way to summarize this, this aspect called flow, being in the flow. Or responding without falling into achievement speaking without involving listeners. So for some people, it might be found through collecting things. For others, from art or music or dance or gardening or cleaning, designing, playing games, cooking, performing, writing, meditating, walking, playing a sport, running. I'm sure you can come up with more and for some people, work. For some people, their job really puts them in the zone or in a flow state. 
he got the word flow because um, he was studying artists and just noticing artists could um, go for for so long absorbed in their art that they might forget to eat a meal or not even like use the bathroom during that time just like be so engaged that even these kind of basic biological needs seemed to be suspended um, and I think he was you know studying people kind of at a high level of flow but he would ask them well what's your experience during this and they, they would say I feel like I'm like on water, I'm flowing on water, or I'm just in harmony with something, or something has picked me up and is just carrying me. And so he got the, the word flow. So I think, you know, as he was saying, this is this contributes to a sense of fundamental well-being that when we feel bad or stuck, it could per perhaps be that we have lost that activity that brings us into just that sense of aliveness and presence and um, creativity. And how, and how do you find it again? So another aspect that Csikszentmihalyi mentioned is, has to do with, this is more his hypothesis. I'm gonna share my screen. I think you can see it. Can you see a graph right now? Kind of graph, it's like a square. So he was saying that it has to do with challenge level and skill level. So on the bottom here is low skill level to high skill level. And on the side here, it's low, low challenge level to high challenge level. One of the things I thought that was interesting is when you have a low skill level in the activity that you're trying to do, um, so you haven't like developed, you haven't learned a lot about it, and it's a low challenge level, there might be apathy or boredom. And But if you have a high skill level and it's still a low challenge level, you might just experience relaxation. And then if you have a low skill level and it's a high challenge level, often people experience anxiety, and that makes sense. And if you have a high skill level and a high challenge level, that's where he really felt like people entered flow. They were, they were practicing or pursuing the task at their edge. I think that's interesting to ponder for meditation practice. So we have the challenge, the challenge of resting attention in present moment experience. But if you're developing, you know, another technique, if you're doing insight or loving kindness or open awareness, you know, all of those have their own challenges. And, and then we're building the skill. So we're building the skill, perhaps we're working on concentration, so that has its own skill set. Or if we're doing open awareness practice, that has its own skill set. If we're doing insight practice, that has its own skill set. And so if there's a lot of challenge and we don't yet have the skill, meditation can bring up anxiety. If we're experiencing maybe a lot of like emotional upheaval and we haven't yet developed like the, just the capacity to stay with present moment experience 
and what we're experiencing is so intense, that can bring anxiety. And so, you know, for some people, meditation in high doses is not the best medicine. It's kind of starting slow and getting accustomed to being present in the body. And But if we have um, not a lot of challenge, we could, we could be, you know, bored in meditation. And so for us, I think as meditators, but, you know, just one more thing on that, but if we have, um, if it's, if it's low challenge and we have skills so we can be with that sense of boredom, it can become relaxation. And I think a lot of people like to do meditation for that reason, that it, in a way, like once you develop that basic ability to sit in your body with your experience, meditation can be quite relaxing because it doesn't ask a whole lot of us, but it can. You can start getting interested in, oh, can I be with the breath for five minutes out of a 15-minute period? Or can I be with the breath completely for two whole breaths, just the breath, not deviating into thinking? So we can set up these little challenges. Or can I practice loving kindness for myself for a full 35-minute period? And just really stay with that. So, you know, any, any practice has its own edge. And, and we have to, or we can, engage with meditation on that level that we're practicing at our edge. Knowing that we can also practice the relaxation aspect, too, at different times. And that, I feel like, is, is an aspect of silent illumination. And we'll get into this part of the chant in a couple of weeks where Hongzhou really points out, like, if you have silence without illumination, then you're, you might just be practicing relaxation, but you're missing uh, the insight that can come from meditation. And if you're practicing just with a lot of curiosity and, and vigor, you might miss the expansiveness or the peace that can come from meditation. So researchers of flow states um, speak of having challenging but achievable goals to support you in attaining flow. And so that's where you can you want to bring flow into meditation, investigate, oh, what would be an achievable goal? And it might be different every day because as you all know from, from meditating that you know, some days the edge is um, maybe more like simple than, and some days it might be a more challenging edge. It, it just really depends on the state of heart, the state of body, the state of mind, and what's needed. So as we practice meditation, we develop the skill of actually discovering what our edges are. That doesn't necessarily come right away. And we can set realistic goals and have realistic expectations. So basically what Csikszentmihalyi discovered was samadhi. Samadhi, as we define it as absorption or union 
And Hongshu's poem on silent illumination is talking about the practice of samadhi as well as the fruits. But this silent, the samadhi of silent illumination is not activity specific as flow states tend to be. The samadhi of silence illumination is encouraging us to live in the flow, live in the flow with life as it is and being able to flow with life as it is, the challenges, the boredoms, the anxiety. It's not carving out a particular picture based on an activity that we can somewhat control but finding, instead of control, confidence in being able to meet all the situations of our life. So in his research, Csikszentmihalyi names four traits that support flow. And these are curiosity and persistence, which were two that we looked at earlier on in this chant. Curiosity and determination is how I defined it. And then the third one is low egotism, which you could also say is selflessness, and a high propensity to perform activities for intrinsic reasons. A high propensity to do things just for doing them. And that is all of these we can practice. All of these are aspects too of, of Dharma practice, right? Having curiosity or wonder a determination to keep going, practicing letting go of self-centered thinking and being open to the nature of mind, and having a high propensity to just do what is without a goal, right? So that's kind of the opposite of what I was saying, but without like a, I'm going to do this so I'll be better, or I'll do this to get here. It's like, when we truly can engage Zazen or any aspect of our lives from just like seeing the intrinsic worthiness of paying attention to it because it's alive, because it is our life, that in and of itself can have that satisfaction that uh, Csikszentmihalyi really has found in, in, in studying flow. Just that doing things for the sake of just doing them because they need to be done because it's our life. It's a very Zen thing. Chop wood, carry water, eat, eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired. And then we respond without falling into achievement. We speak without involving listeners, the 10,000 forms majestically glisten and expound the Dharma. And may you have many moments of flow this next week and notice, notice where you have flow in your life. Both this flow of positive psychology flow, do you have certain activities that really bring that those kinds of states of flow, but also where, where do you flow easily and where are there apparent blocks? Because in, in Zen practice, it's also interesting to investigate those blocks. Where do we get stuck? Where do we 
contract and how do we open back into the flow of this life thank you